We come before the word of the Lord this morning. Our scripture reading is taken from two places. We're going to begin by reading from Exodus 17, the first seven verses of Exodus 17. So I invite you to turn there first. You should be able to find that on page 1,001, uh, excuse me, 114 in the Pew Bible. He's in the Pew edition of the Bible before you. That's page 114. We'll also, and this will serve as our focus this morning, we'll look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. The last time I was with you, I preached on Jesus' first temptation. And uh, since I was invited again, I thought I would finish out the temptations of Jesus. So this morning, uh, we'll look at the second temptation, and Lord willing, tonight we'll look at the third temptation of Jesus that we find in Matthew's Gospel. First, then, our reading as a background, because Jesus always quotes from the Old Testament, and we uh, look not at where he quotes, but the occasion that uh, elicits that. Uh, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Raphadim, but there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why, do you bring us, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Marabah because the Israelites quarreled and, he, and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now we turn in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus in the midst of these temptations by the devil, the spirit had driven him in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil we begin reading at verse 5. Then the devil took him, took Jesus, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Thus far, our reading from God's holy word, and may he bless that word to us. 
Bless me, Lord, bless me. But on my terms. Bless me, Lord, bless me. As I do my will. Not yours. Bless me, Lord, bless me. As I seek first my kingdom. And my happiness. And what interests me. What suits me. What I judge to be in my best interest. Bless me, Lord. Lord, bless me. I plead. I pray. Bless me, Lord. But not your will be done. Do you test God? Doubt Him? Pray for blessings while you... He's not on our side. He won't come through. He's not really there to help. He doesn't care. Bless me, Lord. Bless me. For my sake. Do I test God? Do you put God on trial? It's a lot more common than you think. That's what the devil does to Jesus. He... He tempts Jesus to test God. To doubt God. Or to use God. Or to say, your will be done, Lord, on my terms. And with that one, all of us flunk. To see the first part's pious. Your will be done. First part is godly. Your will be done. First part is scriptural. Your will be done. On my terms, it's of the devil. Jesus tempted at the temple. It's pretty curious what happens here. And we're going to look at that, how Jesus, the devil, brings him to the temple and tempts him to put God to the test, tests him by seeking to get him to test God. We're going to look at that temptation and then the rebuke that follows after it. The thing that's curious to see right away is the change of venue. Now, I don't think all of you heard the first sermon on the first temptation, but in the first, Jesus being tested in his office as the Messiah, as the Christ, baptized the Holy God, the Father, speaks a word from heavenly glory. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. He has the divine signature of God Himself written on Him for all to know. The devil knows that everyone... This is my Son, my beloved Son. This one I'm well pleased with. First thing the Holy Spirit does who lights on Him is Jesus needs to be tested even as Israel was long ago counted as God's own and was tested, but she 
flunked, remember? She's a failure. But Jesus comes along and tested like Israel, but one who will fulfill all righteousness. Remember, he's baptized. Huh? Me be baptized by you? John's saying, huh? What? Me baptize you? It should be. Let us fulfill all righteousness. From the desert, from isolation, from loneliness. You know, sometimes the, dev- the devil goes aft- after us in our solitude. No one's around. No one sees. No one knows. Who's to know? God. But who else? You. But sometimes we're weak that way, right? Solitude. He first makes Jesus physically weak physically famished, 40 days like Israel, 40 years like Israel, 40 days Jesus without food, turn these stones into bread. Man, you don't live by bread. You don't live by your bank account. God knows you need daily bread. He, need, he knows you need to pay bills and meet financial responsibilities. But you don't live because you have meat in the freezer. That's not life. But you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do what God's word says. Change of venue. From solitude, lonely place, sometimes demonic lonely place. Now, holy place. Holy city. Holy temple. Holy Torah. Holy people gathering for sacrifice and worship. Well, that doesn't seem like a likely place for temptation. It doesn't? You don't think we're not tempted in the realm of holy place, in church, around church people, with holy things and thoughts in our minds, on our lips? Clearly so. Often so. In fact, this is a place where pride mounts up. We're on the right side. We're kingdom people. We're on the king's side. We're kingdom people. We're people loved and cared for and wanted. We're not the, the other people. So we matter. We already have temptation right there. There's pride starting to peak. Its head right there. Brings Jesus to holy place, holy temple, holy Torah, the holy will of God. What happens here? Well, Jesus had quoted the word of God against the devil. We live by every word that proceeds. He brings Jesus to the temple, the place of reconciliation, the place of sin satisfaction, the place of sacrifice, the place of devotion to God. Takes him to the temple, the high point of the temple. Behold the temple. Behold the outer court. Behold the city, the holy city of Jerusalem. We're in a holy place. And now says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. 
And again, as we noted last time, the if clauses there aren't if clauses, and I don't know if that's true or not. It's the sort of if clause, and of course, it's true you are. If you are my wife, man says to his husband, if you're my wife, you'll bear patiently with me through this difficulty. He's not saying, if you are, I don't know if you are. If you are, and of course you are, since you are, bear patiently with me through this. That's the sort of if clause it is. If you're the son of God, and of course you are, given that, given that that's so, Throw yourself down. And now he quotes the Bible. Hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Jesus. For what does the word of God say? He will command his angels concerning you. You, the Son of God, Messiah, the Beloved, you. The answer, the way, the truth, the life, redemption's glory, you. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And now, Jesus, here is a pathway in which you don't have to go the way of via dolorosa, the way of suffering. You don't have to have this long three-year march through the countryside being misunderstood and misinterpreted. You don't have to, you know, use up shoe leather, sandal leather, uh, with all this Johnson journeys hither and thither, and then finally find yourself despised, rejected, and hanging on a cross. Here, Take this step off the high point of the temple, the angels catching you. Behold the miracle. Behold the one descended from heaven and the angels there to catch him. Behold God's Messiah, God's Son, God's answer, God's way, God's truth. Do what the Word of God says, namely, His angels. Create the occasion for this Wonder miracle of angels catching you in mid-drop. And they'll lift you in your hands and you will not come to harm. And the reply is real simple. You don't test God. Because it's a version of do God's will as Messiah on your terms by this shortcut. Do God's will as you see it to be done. See if God will come through. I mean, after, after all, you live by every word. This word will come true too. Here it is, angels catching you. You see, what this text isn't about, a little sidebar here, is scolding, using it to scold our children about risky ventures. You know I don't like it when you stand on your bike seat, no hands, running down the hill. I used to do that as a child. Uh, you, you, you know that Christians really shouldn't be race car drivers. It's such a dangerous sport. 
We all know that coal miners, you know, that's dangerous too, and they always get lung disease, and, you know, at risky ventures, rock climbing, and all these extreme sports nowadays, flipping motorcycles. No, you know Christians shouldn't be about risky ventures. You're just tempting and testing God. And that's how this text has sometimes been, it's been reduced to that. So, you know, Jesus knows better than to hope against hope that angels will catch him so he doesn't crack his skull on the ground below. Well, there's a lot more than risky ventures going on here. What did Jesus come to do to fulfill all righteousness, which will finally bring him to a cross of shame, to suffer all sin, our sin, unto our righteousness. Now, what do you suppose the devil wants to make not happen? That. And how might I get Jesus off that path? This Jesus who believes every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord by quoting it to him and asking, telling Jesus to believe the Bible. How do you like that one? We sometimes think that the only way the devil tempts is by telling us not to believe the Bible. We sometimes think that the only way the devil tempts us is not to believe in God. We sometimes think that the only way the devil gets a hold of people is by getting them to deny God. They all become atheists or agnostics. You realize a large swath, in fact, most human beings on this planet believe in God of some sort. I mean, it, it feels big. The atheistic world feels big because of communism or because of all the intellectuals at the universities and colleges tend to all be devout, explicit agnostics or atheists. Don't know if there is a God, probably not. It amounts to the same thing as there is no God. I don't believe in him, worship him, trust him. Or, you know, so much of Western Europe is quite secular as our own country's becoming more and more. What God, huh? Who? What? And even if there... But you realize... The devil can still have you. You believe in God, but he doesn't matter. Go ahead, be a devout Roman Catholic or a devout Lutheran or a devout Reformed Christian. Devout in the sense, I really believe God exists. Yep, there's a heaven and a hell. Yep. And how does this shape your life? Doesn't, really. He has you. Even though you would say you believe the Bible. And how does, your Bi how does the Bible matter to your life? How, does it, how is it different than your cousin who doesn't believe any of it? Nothing. Not much. Sometimes I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Maybe a little more often. But how does it matter? It doesn't. He had it. Just because you believe the Bible, you realize Mormons believe the Bible. Jehovah Witnesses believe the Bible. 
modernists who deny the resurrection and the virgin birth and all kinds of things, yet they go to church, will say they believe the Bible. But it doesn't matter, does it? Bless me, Lord, bless me. That's the temptation here. I will take a leap on. Bless me, Lord, bless me on my way down and let the angels catch me. But it's my will being done while I ask you to bless me, not your will being done. Because God's will for his beloved Son in whom he's well pleased is the long hard road to the cross, to rejection and shame and death and grave and decay before the angels take charge. In fact, the devil's very good at quoting the Bible devilishly. You know that one too, right? You know how you can misquote the Bible? You can misuse the Bible. We've all heard of people who are flippers, you know. Lord, what is your will? And they randomly, and oh, that must be it. No, that's just stupidity. That's all that is. Use your brain. Use skill. Use the wisdom of other Christians. Use Christian principles to answer hard questions in which there's not a Bible text answer. Pray and let your heart be open. Let your conscience that's shaped by the Bible, don't let your conscience be your guide because, you know, you're the one who has to keep it satisfied. <laughs> it's not a very good guide. But let your conscience be shaped by Scripture and Christian teaching so that you're soft and humble to God. Am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? The devil comes armed with Bible text, but he doesn't quote all of Psalm 91 there. He leaves part of it out. The part he quotes, he will give his angels charge over thee. The, the part he doesn't quote, quote from Psalm 91, verse 11, is to keep thee in all your ways, to keep you in all your ways. The angels will have charge of you in all your ways, including dia dolorosa, ways of suffering. In all your ways, including obedience to the Father and the commission you have to be Savior. The, the angels will have charge over you to protect you and lift you up and be there in all your ways, including when you're hanging on a cross of shame and dying. Including when you say, not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. Well, that's a very different passage then, isn't it? It isn't, Jesus didn't come to be wonder worker. He performed miracles, but not for the sake of being, oh, look at the magic man. Look at the wonder worker. Ooh and ah, it wasn't for celebrity. We live in a culture of celebrity. We live in a culture absolutely mesmerized. We, you know, we can laugh at, oh, you know, in the old world they believe in Hercules and other ridiculous things like that. 
We only believe in Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and the Avengers and, you know, all the other fantastic people that can do, or the Force. <laughs> Young Padawans, the Force. And we can wield a lightsaber in a deadly way and no salvation. Fantasy heroes. Be a fantasy hero, Jesus. Be a celebrity. But don't be the Messiah who dies on the cross and atones for the sin of the people. Don't be that. Bless me, Lord. Bless me on my terms. Virtually every elder who's been long, or every pastor and experienced elder comes across, sadly, somewhere in his ministry, and sometimes more than once, of someone who wants to end their marriage because the Lord has told me I need to marry this new man that I've been carrying on with. It's his will. Not in his word, it's not. It's not his will. His will is for you and your husband to figure out what's wrong in your relationship, to repent sincerely to one another, to surrender to God, and do His will. Live His will. God's will isn't that you sin. Yeah, you know, God told me to do this really sinful thing, and it's, it's His will that I... No, it isn't. Bless me, Lord. Bless me while I sin in your name. No, it isn't. devil would have us over and over again doubt God. What's happening over there in Exodus and Deuteronomy where Jesus quotes? Promised land. We long to get to promised land. It's God's promise. I didn't make the promise. God made the promise. We're waiting for God to do what God said he'd do. In the meantime, we've become this big nation in Egypt and we're slaves we're oppressed, we're miserable, we're hurting. Is God deaf? And God sends a deliverer, brings an answer. And on the way, it's not life on cruise control. We are finally out of Egypt. We've finally overcome these taskmasters, these, we, we were no longer burden bearers by these Egyptian overlords and rulers, these thugs. God has saved us with a mighty arm. He's drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, a mighty God. And now it should be easy sailing, fast cruising, big paved highway of ease. And they find themselves in a wilderness thirsty. Real basic stuff. Mom, I'm thirsty. Kids squawking. Mom, where's water? I'm thirsty. We don't have water right now, honey. Be patient. And now they're squilling some more. And come to think of it, mom's thirsty. Dad's grumpy. He's thirsty. Why did we... I was never thirsty in Egypt. There was always water. That Nile, there's a good water supply there. I was never thirsty in Egypt. I'm thirsty here. What did God, what did Moses, what are you up to? 
Are you a moron bringing us out here, a place where there's no water? What's wrong with you? Bless me, Lord, bless me, as I calculate how life should go. Bless me, Lord, bless me, as I figure out how I should be blessed. I set the terms, and now, Lord, you do for me. My will be done, Lord. Bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, but we're not praying thy will be done. They weren't doing that that wilderness generation. Moses at his wit's end pleading to God, what am I supposed to do? They're ready to stone me to death. Take some of the leaders, go out to this place near Horeb, use your staff, beat the rock, and water will come out. And remember what they were doubting God about, how God described it for them there. It's very, it's very on point. They were saying, is the Lord among us or not? They were doubting God whether he was for them. They were doubting whether he was good and loving. To my shame, I've done that. When my life has had trials and struggles and burdens and tears, I think that this way of suffering is the wrong way. That maybe God's not coming through. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God isn't fair. Of course, I'm not going to mouth those words. You know, I've read too much theology and Bible to say those things. But my heart can think those things, feel those things. I can question God that way, and I bet you can and have too. Bless me, Lord, bless me, but are you really among us? Do you really care about us? Are you really for us? Jesus rebukes all of this nonsense. Also using scripture, and the scripture comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's also written... Do not put the Lord your God to the test like you did at Meribah and Massah as you did at quarreling place and testing God place. These places got new names, quarreling with God place, testing God place. Don't put God to the test. Don't say, well, this is God's will according to my will. Don't, well, I will fulfill Scripture according to my will to be a celebrity Messiah with angels capturing him on his way down off the temple top. No, don't tempt or test God. 
but walk with God and I'll never leave you or forsake you in all your ways that are ways of righteousness and obedience and truth. The way of blessing is always bless me, Lord, bless me. As I say, your will be done, even if it is a pass of suffering. It's this trial, it's this burden, it's this struggle. It's this prayer that remains unanswered, maybe for many years, maybe most your life. I had a, a sister who was quite wayward from the faith. Eh, sometimes on, but mostly off, most all the time until the end of her life. So you had a mother and a father praying their life long for her. But God had long ago said yes to their prayer. He probably said yes the first time they prayed it, but he also said not yet. Bless me, Lord. Bless her. I will. I am. But thy will be done your way. Lord and maybe you've there's people here who have that same sort of prayer for a loved one we give to God what we can't ever take for ourselves we surrender to God and we don't test God by saying are you really for us are you really on our side do you really care he who gave his own son for us. Will he not also with him give us all things? He who gave us the grand prize is going to get stingy with some crumbs off the table? No. Don't doubt God. In fact, what I'm still learning is God is slow to answer some of my prayers because I'm slow to change. I'm slow to trust. I'm slow to be humble. I'm slow to say thy will, not my will, be done. Thy will, thy timing, thy good timing. If I need to suffer thirst for a while, God will see to it that I don't die of it. If I need to be lonely, God will be sufficient in his grace to see me through. If I have to suffer some financial trial, and maybe somewhat perpetual in my life, because there are people like that, then teach me to be gracious and contented and not covetous, to be generous with what I can give, and a good steward of what I do have. And maybe what God does in me can spill over to people who have great riches to be generous. You know, the little widow with the single mite, remember her, who gave more than everyone else in her meagerness. We have to trust God that He's ordained our days and he's doing things in our lives for a good purpose and what we mustn't do is put him to the test by asking for blessing while we doubt him or really aren't interested in saying, sanctify me, I'm yours, do with me as you please.
Because now we're still hanging on to a piece of our life in which we say, not for you, Jesus. I'm Lord. I'm master here. Yeah, yeah, get me saved. Bless me. Provide for me financially. Give me companionship. You know, all the other stuff that would make your boat float. But sometimes those are just idols you're asking God to bless in your life. But over here, I'm in control. I'm at the wheel. And I'll steer. Thank you, Jesus. Out of the way. And now we have to get our hands off and say, Lord, you take my life where you want it to go. And that takes faith, but that's also living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So that we learn to pray, bless me, Lord, bless me as your will is done in me. Bless me, Lord, bless me as I trust you. Even when the devil would say, don't trust God, doubt God, deny God, ignore God, make God a no account. Yeah, believe your Bible, believe in God, but just don't let him matter any. No, Lord, bless me as I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your name be hallowed. Yes, Lord, I need deliverance from temptation. Yes, Lord, I need daily bread. Yes, Lord, I need forgiveness. But to you be the glory. Your will be done in my life, in my church, in this world, whether I'm blessed or not. Don't put God to the test. Trust him. Amen. Lord, we ask your tender mercies upon us that we would grow up in Christ Jesus. Forgive us in all the ways we do and have tested you, doubted you, questioned you. Forgive us for Jesus' sake. And bless us, Lord, according to your will. Amen. Shall we respond?